Hey everybody, Ira here. Most of the time on this show, I'm having a good time, I'm joking around, but today this is serious business, so much so that I've reversed my name for the intro, started talking very close to the mic, and why I've divided this episode into three acts. Not parts, acts. Like how Shakespeare would have done it if he had a podcast. Today's episode is all about cults, more specifically how to leave a cult. But before we learn how to leave, we need to understand how one joins. This is Act One, Looking for Adventure. My name's Diane Benskoder. I was in a religious cult I joined when I was 17. I was in for five years. It's commonly known as the Moonies. Its actual name is the Unification Church. It was started by Sung Young Moon in 1954. Moon is regarded by members of the church as the second coming of Jesus, and they follow his book Divine Principle as well as the Holy Bible. In simple terms, they're an offshoot of Christianity, and although they are often referred to as a cult, they've had religious tax exemption since 1982. The Unification Church is probably most well known for its mass weddings, where thousands of couples will be wed at one time. And at their peak membership in the 1980s, they had over 7 million followers in over 180 different countries. Another thing I thought I might add is Mooney is actually considered a derogatory term within the church. I was young and idealistic and in a tiny little town in the Midwest. I was looking for adventure. I was really upset about the war that was going on. And so I wanted to find a way to do something about it. And so I went on this walk for world peace and it ended up being the Moonies. Diane's story fits the pattern of how most people end up in cults. Young, impressionable, and maybe looking for some authority after losing faith in the government or media. They convinced me that the second coming of Christ had occurred and that he was on the earth and that God had prepared me to serve him. She was a member for almost five years. They would often tell you that Satan works through the ones you love. This is another common practice. And so when family members would try to get their loved ones out, we would be told that that was Satan working through our loved ones because he was so threatened by God's army of people that were taking over. What was life like for you as a member? I was very dedicated. I um, moved into the center. It was a house where we all lived. They had one in each state. She spent a lot of her time fundraising, selling flowers or candies. They'd drop us off with our bucket of flowers or something and tell us to go up this street and go in every business. We'd get back in the van, count our money, pray and repent that we didn't make more. We were told that if people made donations, their ancestors were up in heaven cheering because it was such an honor to give money to support the Messiah's work. Did you ever lie about where the money was going? We just told them, like, this is for the church. It's to help underprivileged children. It's to help keep kids off drugs. We had even had a term called heavenly deception. They also had her recruiting new members talking to students that were just sitting on benches or whatever and asking them, do you believe in God? Would you like to see a better world? Why don't you come to dinner tonight? Here a series of lectures. I just kept thinking, we're God's soldiers. We're out on the front line. Eventually, she was sent to the headquarters in upstate New York. It's not far from my childhood home. I remember once I was in a car with my mother and she pointed to a massive building and told me that was where the Moonies lived. Belvedere. Yeah, that's that's where he lived. The structure is over 100,000 square feet of prime Hudson River real estate. It's 
where all the money was going. Not to feed needy children, but to the people at the top, living in luxury. Did you ever meet any of the people at the top? Yeah, I've met Moon before. There was this reverence to it. You know, we revered him. Lots of bowing and and crying because, you know, what an honor it was to be in his presence. Reverend Moon died in 2012, but the Unification Church is still actively recruiting and boasts over a million members. You join for like psychological reasons, for reasons that have to do with human needs or feeling like you fit in or like you're important. You have your own vocabulary, your own use of terminology. So you're kind of the in-group if you use these terms or these catchphrases. And then there's a sense of camaraderie that often happens, that always, that we're the righteous ones and we're, it feels really good. It's intoxicating almost. But not all is candies and flowers. It's not fun being in a cult. You do it because you really care. Even these people that are in, you know, QAnon-type radicalization are very much the same thing as in a cult. We will be rejoining Diane in the third act to talk about how she left the Moonies. But before that, my own father has a story about his encounter with the Unification Church. This segment is going to be presented by my friend Sullivan Draper. So I was a teacher at uh, at a private elementary school in Manhattan. This is David Kagan, Ari's father. He also worked at a summer program for the same school. Then we're always looking for interesting things to do. It's hot, you know, the kids are looking for entertainment. They decided to plan a field trip, something that would get them out of the city. The director of the school said that um, a bus had been rented and that we were gonna get taken to a park and have a have a picnic and, and, and lunch there. A breath of fresh air, a much needed change from the hustle and bustle of city life. I got on board this small bus uh, with about 12 kids, 12 elementary school kids. And uh, we sit down at the bus and we're getting ready to go. And all of a sudden, the woman who's driving the bus says, let us now pray. Although automotive collisions are by far the most common form of transportation accident, David thought this was rather strange. This is not a religious school by any means. Um, and, you know, that nobody told me this was going to happen. They began their journey. The destination, Harriman State Park in Slotesburg, New York. I, I think it was about an hour drive. And so we're, you know, we're just sort of driving along and all of a sudden we pull up and there's a large sign that with a large sun, like a big picture of a sun with, you know, with a rays shining out on the sign. And it said, welcome to the camp of the Unification Church. I was like, okay, here we go. Um, and, uh, you know, the Unification Church was famous for inviting people to get on their quote-unquote bus. And then they would, you know, college kids, and they would be scooted away to these places. And just basically for the whole weekend, they would just there would just be songs playing, and, and you were never allowed to be alone, and they're giving you eye contact, and they don't want you to sleep. What did it look like? It was a huge, huge park with big, with big pavilions. Uh, clearly a place where hundreds and hundreds of people could meet. There's someone there grilling burgers as we arrive and everything sort of looks idyllic and it's a beautiful summer day. 
In the early 80s, cult hysteria was at its peak, and even though the Unification Church was rather tame, it must have been a stressful experience. You know, I've got eyes sort of looking out from all, you know, like 365 degrees. I'm checking out the whole thing. There were pictures of Sun Young Moon. Over in the cafeteria, there were about 12 uh, members of the Unification Church just quietly eating together, all circled around a little table. And it just, it looked very peaceful, very idyllic. We walked around and, and the kids got some burgers and then they played a little and we got on the bus and we drove back to the city. Um, I told the director that uh, that this had happened. I think she, you know, she agreed that it was a little bit abnormal and uh and so we didn't take we didn't do that trip again do you think that this field trip had any effect on the kids no i don't think so i don't think they even knew what was happening i think they just there were some burgers there and there was a very pretty park and we got out of the city and they ran around and you know i can't i didn't see everything that was being told to them but everybody got back on the bus yeah i think for them it was just a it was just a day in the park I like to think one of those students is all grown up and listening to this podcast, just now learning for the first time that a fun day 40 years ago was a close encounter with one of the world's most notorious cults. When we come back, we rejoin Diane and find out exactly how she left the Moonies. That's in a minute when this program continues. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. It's Things You Don't Need to Know, today's show, How to Leave a Cult. We've arrived at Act 3, Freedom. Diane had been with the Moonies for a few years now, and her family was worried about her. They're not buying into it, and since they're not, they become like the enemy. In my family, it was, it was horrible. I feel really bad still how much I hurt my family. But her family had a plan. They arranged for her to come visit them, and when she got there, they put that plan into action. I went to visit my family and spent some time with my family. And it was during that time that they hired a deprogrammer. A deprogrammer is someone who helps get people out of cults. Um, it was an ex-member of the same group I was in that came and talked to me. And I thought maybe I could bring her back into the fold. But that's not what happened. Instead, the deprogrammer began asking questions. She had me talk about whether or not I agreed that there were cults. And I said, of course, they are, but I'm not, you know. And so then she pulled out this book by Robert Lifton called Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. The book is essentially about brainwashing. It goes through the different elements of it. And very patiently, the programmer began to walk her through how brainwashing works. One of the things that a, a cult-like group has to do in order to control you is to cut off information sources and convince you that it's all fake news out there, for instance, that if you don't get your information from this one narrow place, then 
it's probably a lie. Another example is loading the language, altering the meaning of words as to conform with a way of thinking. There's a definite goal to create an us and a them in pretty much any of these groups. We're the right people. We're the ones that know the truth. Our worldview is the right one. Everybody else is wrong. And then there's confessions. In the case of Scientology, e-meter testing. A practice said to help get to the bottom of people's problems, you know, so that they can lead a better life. But unfortunately, these conversations are often recorded and can be used by people higher up in the organization to manipulate members. If an environment contains these things, if these things are going on, then you've probably been what he called brainwashed or there was thought reform going on. Once Diane came to this realization, she couldn't go back. It started kind of like a whisper, and then it got louder and louder until it was screaming, what if it's all a lie? And I could almost hear glass breaking around me. It was just a shattering, horrible feeling, and um, it was devastating. It's hard to leave because you have to deal with shame and indignation. If you start doubting it, even if you decide you want to leave, it's like, oh, now I have to admit I made this really stupid, huge mistake with my life. Diane came to terms with it, but coming back had its own set of challenges. I didn't know how to view the world. I didn't know how to think about anything. I didn't know what my politics were. None of my friends were my friends anymore, and I didn't feel close to my family. It took years, actually, for me to heal from it. She would go on to become a deprogrammer herself. The person who deprogrammed me, who got me out, was offered a job in this rehab house for people leaving cults, and she didn't want to. She was in college. So I went to Minneapolis, where this house was, and started working there. People would call and ask if someone could help them, and I started going out on what we called cases. And I'd go with three or four other people, and we'd go wherever this person was that we were going to be talking with. What was that whole process like? The first thing is to authentically let them know that you don't think they're stupid, that if they would only consider the possibility, just talk with me about the possibility that maybe they've been taken advantage of, maybe they've been lied to, and that I don't want to argue about what's right or wrong or tell them how to live their life, but I really just want to help them kind of deconstruct their the relationship with this group through the lens of psychological manipulation to see if by any chance that might be what's going on with them. A lot of it is about making this person feel comfortable. We wanted them to get plenty of rest and eat well so that they could have a rational conversation. Without that, you're not going to get anywhere else. I can say that for sure. Arguing about it is not going to help. Telling them what they're saying is ridiculous is the very worst thing A well-executed deprogramming is often all one needs to turn their back on such an organization. Once you understand that someone took control of you intentionally and some of the most sacred parts of you, the parts of you that wanted to be a good person, that wanted to do good in the world, and they took advantage of that, you know, once you get that, you don't go back. Diane is the founder of Antidote.ngo, an organization that helps with psychological manipulation. She also has a book, Shoes of a Servant, My Unconditional Devotion to a Lie. Things You Don't Need to Know is a Hyper Object and 3 Uncanny 4 production. The show is hosted and written by me. Should I say Ira Kagan? I think I'm gonna. And produced by Harry Nelson and also me. 
Additional help from Shane McKeon, Nuna Sharafuddin, and Emily Saul. Our executive producers are Adam McKay and Laura Mayer. The show is mixed by Nice Manners. If you like things you don't need to know, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Can you stop pretending to be Ira Glass now? Only if you leave a review. Anyway, see you next week. <laughs>